0: Sam, I think I hit my mic. Hi, Beth. (laughs) (laughs) Starting the show out right. Well, we had a little bit of a slow start today, but that's okay. That's all right. Yeah, we got a lot going on right now. We do. It's an exciting time. It to is. be a podcaster
1: yes it is especially a drink and farm podcaster
0: <laughs> or maybe it's just an exciting time to be us i don't know
1: yeah uh, you know what maybe <laughs> all of the above let's go with that
0: <laughs> i like that oh i just poured my beer out and it smells super good well
1: what is it
0: this is the uh lagunitas and shorts brew collaboration called passion grass Ooh and it is an ale brewed with lemongrass and passion fruit and what i really love is that they wrote like a little thing around the edge of it it says that this is brewed by uh, lagunitas which is in petaluma california and shorts brew which is in beller michigan and it says why well a wise woman once said friends are the family you choose and it's good to have friends oh so there we go and i think this is a beer you brought me oh it might have been
1: i can't remember i just love that beer store and that i can throw a bunch of random beers in a six pack
0: so <laughs> i know that been. does make it so fun it does
1: <laughs> i like variety it's the spice of life <laughs> what
0: are you drinking over there
1: so my uh brother and sister-in-law came up this past weekend. And, uh, to my mom's and they stopped at St. Julian winery in Pawpaw, Michigan, which is one of my favorite wineries. Mm. And they took a picture of this wine cause they stopped and did a tasting. Um, and it's called cock of the walk <laughs> and it's got a rooster on it and a bunch of other like poultry on it. It's really cool. And, um, it's a Michigan red wine. So I was super glad that they actually bought the bottle for me and brought it. And it's delicious. It's a dynamic blend of Tempranillo, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Chambourcin. I'm probably saying that wrong, uh, but that's okay. Chancellor, Fock, <laughs> Deshaunach, <laughs> and Rougin. Um, wine is for everyone people you don't have to know how to pronounce these names but it's like a really slutty blend like they're really getting in there with all these different grapes
0: yeah and i love how they use tempranillo grapes also fun fact Mm -hmm. tempranillo is my favorite style of red wine Ah,
1: so you'd probably like this one um and it's also has has flavors of dark cacao, black cherry, cassis, and vanilla bean. Mm. And it's very like silky and fruity. It's not dry. It's a nice one. So I am excited to drive past this winery when we go to the Naperville Ale Fest because I'll probably make my husband stop so I can pick up some more of this because it's that good. Nice. So, shout out to my sister-in-law, Becky, for being amazing and knowing what makes me happy, wine and wine that has chickens on it. So, cheers.
0: <laughs> cheers to that. Yes. And welcome to We Drink and We Farm Things. Woo! That's Bev over there. And that's Sam over there. And this is the
1: Farm Comedy Podcast that is an adult happy hour for your ears.
0: We drink adult beverages, talk about the ups and downs of farming things, and give a zero clucks about not having the perfect farm life. That's right.
1: And we wanted to create a community for farmers, whether you have a hobby-sized farm or a really big farm, uh, to come listen and feel like you're not so alone in this farm thing.
0: We keep it real with you and find humor in the mistakes we make, new knowledge we gain, and sometimes we go off on tangents that are non-farming related. Yes.
1: And speaking of those tangents, we cut a lot of those in stick them up over on our Patreon. Uh, this episode's outtakes are exclusively for our Patreon peeps. So you can go to patreon.com slash farm and become a patron at $2 or above to get access to those outtakes and tangents and funny things that just don't make it into the episode.
0: And speaking of the Patreon, our drinks this episode were sponsored by Ashley Kiernan. So cheers, lady. Cheers our oldest drink sponsor not in age just not in, in length age. of
1: commitment to our craziness
0: and she's pretty committed to our craziness uh-huh. Uh-huh. which is awesome committed. it's great to have friends committed get it committed crazy <laughs> yeah okay.
1: i get it <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> So I just wanted to follow up really quick because we did a couple of episodes where I talked about like how to prep for having geese and all that fun stuff. And I will, I am here to confirm that geese grow so fast. Holy shit. Like literally shit too, because I can also confirm that they rocket poop just as aggressively as ducks <laughs> and they are just as messy, if not messier than ducks. Um, <laughs> So I'd highly recommend that if you are going to get geese, and most of the time they don't start shipping until March and April anyways, but if you're in a colder climate, like Michigan, um, where our winters are longer than we would probably like, uh, waiting until it is like warm enough to have them in an outdoor space, like a garage or a barn, um, because of how quickly they grow, it's kind of tough to keep them in your bathroom. Even yeah. in one of those smaller tubs where chicks can, you know, do pretty well with that for a few weeks. Um, we have these, like, huge, long, heavy-duty pallets that are probably, like, 12 feet across um, or 12 feet long. And we have, like, two of those and then a couple of regular standard size pallets on each end. Um, and they're starting to get a little too big for that. So I have to start working on expanding our duck run So they can go live in there soon. But they're, like, the size of my ducks almost at this point. And they're starting to get their little butt feathers, and it's adorable.
0: Oh, my gosh. But
1: just a heads up, if if you want geese, it's really wise to, like, be patient and wait until it's warmer so you can move them outside after they get those feathers. So... Little, little bit of uh, wisdom coming from Sam on this one. I'm glad that I, I waited till April to get them. <laughs> yeah,
0: because it's hard to be patient. Like, yes. you know, you see the photos and stuff in the fun Facebook groups and on Instagrams and all of mm-hmm. that. And it can make you impatient and like you want to do all of the things like right now. But mm-hmm. It's not always the best.
1: No. And they're stinky, man. <laughs> they are stinky. I can't wait until we can move them outside where we have all the ducks. We're going to get more like river rock brought in because that's super easy to hose down. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> we've had the same river rock in place for, gosh, I think like two years now. And now we need another layer just because over time it just built up. And I want to put it in an angle so like literally the shit will roll downhill. Um, but yeah, so looking forward to expanding that and and getting some fresh rock down for the ducks and the geese, but they're super fun. They're great. Just word to the wise, be patient. (laughs) (laughs) Love
0: it. So we get to jump right into our episode today.
1: Yay. So I'm saying yay, but I feel like this topic's going to be pretty serious, so offline, Bev and I have been kind of going back and forth on how to approach the flooding that is occurring in the Midwest um, for quite a few weeks now. And we've decided that a mini-series within our weekly episodes to review the devastation from multiple angles is probably the best approach because you can't really simplify what's going on out there.
0: Yeah, and What happens also, I mean, everybody knows how like the news media cycle works, but there's a lot of sensationalism and a lot of speculation that happens at first Mm -hmm. when something happens. And I know we were asked to talk about this like right after the flooding in Nebraska like really got going. I think that was like March-ish or something like that. Yeah. Um, But we were like, we have to hold off because there's nothing concrete and solid otherwise other than like everything's just underwater. Right. That's all we know for sure. Right. (laughs) And
1: from, this makes me sound like a snob, but from my college days, I really enjoy research. Obviously, that's why I really enjoy doing this podcast too, is because Bev and I get to do all kinds of research and learn things. But I like to find sources, like multiple sources and start seeing patterns and things because then I feel better about sharing the information that's out there when I'm seeing that it's consistent um, from various sources instead of just, you know, taking it from the first person that talks about it. Because like Bev said, you know, the news cycle sensationalism, everybody wants to be first. So that's why we kind of pumped the brakes on this and waited. And we're kind of seeing how it shakes out even still.
0: Yeah. And even though we have like, tried to thoroughly research this as best that we can, we will definitely make mistakes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Some of the things that we talk about. And I wouldn't be surprised if an opinion or something that we just discuss off the cuff, if, you know, a few episodes down the road, we realize later, like, oh, we changed our mind on that because we got a different perspective. So, right. That's sort of where we are on this topic. And we want to
1: encourage you if if this is something that interests you or something that you're like, That's just really stewing in your brain to do your own research and come to our Facebook group and and talk about it, too, if you find something else that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. So for today's episode, what we're going to do is give an overview of what's currently happening and the damage to the topsoil that's occurring and what that means. And then over the next few weeks, in between all of our coop camp adventures, we'll come back to this topic and we'll review things like crop insurance and the policies and processes for that, because that is a huge deal for what's going on right now. And we also plan to cover the mental health impacts that this could have on farmers.
0: Yeah. And, you know, this may not be the most enjoyable topic for us to cover, but we're going to aim to do it justice and shine light on what so many farmers are going through and the multifaceted decision making process that they need to perform when things like this happen. Yes. So
1: actually, before we get started.
0: I'm going to pour a little bit more wine because shit's about to get heavy. <laughs> oh, maybe I should have brought a second beer in today. No. Mm-hmm. To Why be fair,
1: I didn't pour very much. I'm drinking out of a coffee mug that's red and my wine is red. So <laughs> I didn't see how, how much I actually poured the first time. So. <laughs> I would have
0: totally just overflowed that cup and had wine all over the place. Oh,
1: Yeah, I got to go grocery shopping after this though. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so... First, let's take a quick look into this uh, Farm Bureau article that covers the Crop Progress Report from the USDA, and this came out uh, on May 31st, this article. And, you know, as as we've all heard, in many parts of the country, especially in the Midwest, um, the weather really isn't cooperating with the farmers, and all across the Farm Belt, record breaking precipitation has been causing problems for farmers with flooding in fields and excess soil moisture. And you're seeing things like tractors getting stuck, fields are completely underwater, and Mother Nature is just doing
0: her very best to keep crops from getting put in the ground, period. I made a joke to somebody that I actually think Mother Nature is just trying to wash us off at this point. Ooh. This is defective. Let's get rid of these and start over. <laughs> it's
1: like flood 2.0, right?
0: Yeah, it's very dark. <laughs> it's a very dark humor, but I'm like, seriously, the rain just will not stop.
1: It won't. Even even when we're, where we're at, too, it feels like, you know, what I was saying, I was lamenting about my very tiny problems compared to this, this issue of you know only being able to really do things on the weekends and when it rains on one day in the weekend it like screws my whole weekend up um so even on a small scale not just from for like huge farms that grow and grow food and that's their you know their income it even affects us small little hobby farmers that just like to bitch about our problems that really aren't that bad yeah. <laughs> So on Tuesday, May 28th, the USDA released the latest Crop Progress Report showing historic delays in corn and soybean plantings across farm country. Uh, Many acres are or soon will be eligible for prevented planting payments through corn crop insurance policies. And that's what we'll take a deep dive into later in the series in a couple of episodes. Uh, But it's a very important piece of the puzzle we'll have to come
0: back to. And a very complicated piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Like, oh. I, I, I'm i not a farmer. I know, I call myself a farmer now, sometimes not as confidently as I should because I do a lot of farming things. But, like, there is some farming shit out there that is just so complicated and has so many pieces to it mm-hmm. that unless you're, like, really in it, it can be hard to wrap your head around it. So it's taken us a little while to kind of gather the information that we needed on that.
1: Yeah, if you think health insurance is a pain in the ass. <laughs> Ooh, try crop insurance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we are actually looking at the biggest event for grain and oilseed markets since the drought of 2012. And the combination of rec- record-breaking extreme weather alongside continued policy uncertainty has agriculture economists ag- across the board scratching their heads trying to figure out how everything will shake out. So now let's talk about delays in planting and the the numbers around that. Looking at the average five-year time period, typically at this point in the year, corn planting would be 90% complete, but this year's farmers have only planted 58% of their intended acres. And for those of you that aren't good at math, like me, or don't have the data in front of you, that translates to nearly 39 million acres of corn still waited waiting to be planted.
0: Uh, yeah. And, you know, when you hear stuff like this as a non-corn farmer, some of you might be like, well, okay, so what is that, like, feed and whatnot? Like, what does that really affect? But Corn goes into so many products. Mm -hmm. You would not believe it. Like, if the corn doesn't get planted, there are going to be things missing off of the shelves when you go to the grocery stores that you didn't even realize corn goes into.
1: Right, right. And to put it into perspective, when we talk about corn experiencing historic delays in planting, um, it's helpful to look at some of the worst years in planting delays. So, 2019 actually started out relatively in line with 93 and 95 even performing better through week 18. However, in the past three weeks, this year's progress has fallen further and further behind, with the most recent week at 13 percentage points behind the next worst year of corn planting. And some states are certainly hit worse than others, with South Dakota, Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio being particularly particularly hard uh, for these planting delays. Um, Another Key item or key crop that we should talk about is soybeans. And those are actually planted later than corn, but so far um, they're showing a similar pattern, largely falling behind the five year average. So the US is currently only 29% complete on planting soybeans, while the five year average is at 66%. And as of this past week, there are still 60 million acres of soybeans that farmers intended to plant that are not yet planted. That's a lot of work. Holy cow. Yes. So, some in the industry have argued that farmers are doing the math between prevented planting and current corn prices to see which option is more in- economical. And this goes back to that whole crop insurance thing. So, um, farmers are looking at historical years of crop progress reports and extrapolating those results on this year's progress. But that might not apply here, you know, as it might come down to whether or not farmers can even physically get out there and plant the crop. So we are sitting on record floods and many states in the Corn Belt are looking at record levels of topsoil measured at surplus moisture level. Um, which means it's really wet <laughs> and you can't plant it when it's really wet. So there would need to be several days of sun and no rain in order to get the fields close to where they need to be for those looking to plant in the next week to be able to do anything. Um, but the current forecast does not seem to be cooperating.
0: Womp womp womp, womp indeed. Grublies from Grublie Farms is the official choice of treat for our flocks.
1: Why do we choose Grubblies? Grubblies are safer for your flock because they're oven dried and grown in America.
0: Grubblies have 50 times more calcium than other chicken snacks, and this means it'll help your ladies have tougher eggshells, and they're packed with protein, so that means healthier, shinier feathers. Now that's what
1: I call a guilt-free snack. And did you know you can buy Grubblies in bulk? And you can actually subscribe and save 10% every time without needing
0: to remember to log in and place your order again. The treat tanks that hold five pounds of grubblies is essential because we never run out because if we ever ran out the whole flock will have a case of resting beak face and we may have a mutiny on our hands.
1: Exactly. Can you even imagine a chicken mutiny? Mm. So keep your treat tanks full with a subscription. They always ship free, save you 10%, and you can skip a month or cancel at any time.
0: So head on over to grublyfarms.com and use code FARM15 to save 15% off your first one-time order or first month of your subscription of Grubly's.
1: So now that we have all those numbers out of the way, let's talk details about the flooding that is the primary cause for the planting delay.
0: Yeah, like towns and farms and tons of infrastructure are still underwater in Nebraska, and the water could take months to work through the vast networks of rivers, creeks, and streams that drain the upper Midwest into the Gulf of Mexico. So, we're looking at some wet times for a long time.
1: Yeah, and this article specifically covered Nebraska, but I feel like it's a good like a test case for other um what are they called? <laughs> Other states—that's what they're called. <laughs> yeah, other states that are also being impacted are having much of the same issue. But in in Nebraska, um, specifically, back in late March, it, the estimates indicated that the floods could be responsible for 440 million dollars in crop losses. Um, Which is the epicenter of where the floods are. And I thought it was interesting too that they pointed out one in four jobs in Nebraska are tied to or supported by farming. So this is a really horrible big deal for that state in particular
0: yeah and in fact i think this article we used this one because it really focused on the topsoil, which was something that we wanted to discuss today but this article is from like late march or early april Mm -hmm. so some of these numbers are kind of old and some of nebraska may have dried out a little more by now and there's other regions that are underwater more than nebraska is and i believe that the estimates uh for the damages are like almost to a billion or right around a billion now so it's pretty intense. See. Yeah. So if
1: you want exact numbers, you might have to go do some googling yourself, but overall, it's just bad. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's not just like the farmers, it's just it's the infrastructure itself too, which impacts farming and and all other things in a state.
0: Yeah, so even after the floodwater recedes, the region's farms and the soil that they're built on could face a long load to recovery, which could span years or decades. It's not like a quick fix kind of thing, which right. means many farmers and ranchers could end up walking away rather than deal with the costs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or even messing, you know, with bankruptcy or or anything else. Like they may just throw their hands in the air and be like, oh, "Done, bye, bye." <laughs> The soil went by. So that's what (laughs) I'm doing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So how did all this flooding happen? Um, In a nutshell, this was like the most simple way we could find to explain it. Um, That after an extremely wet fall, winter came and brought repeated blasts of, of cold, which froze the already soaked soil. And then heavy snow piled up on top of it. And then we had that bomb cyclone in March and it unleashed a blizzard in Western Nebraska, but the Eastern portion of the state saw rain and tons of it. And that was according to Climate Central, um, which I think is one of the places that's referenced in this article. And this article will be in the show notes, so you can go check it out. Uh, And the soaked soils couldn't absorb the sudden influx of water and it began to run off into the rivers and streams. And then there were dam and levee failures so the torrent of water just clawed off the midwest's most bountiful resource which is the topsoil
1: right so you might be asking yourself what is topsoil obviously it's the top layer of soil but like what does that actually mean and how is it specifically being impacted in the situation
0: it's more complicated than you think trust yes me. <laughs> it
1: is and i was surprised when we were doing all this research how much i actually didn't know so At a high level, topsoil is the upper outer layer of soil, usually the first 5 to 10 inches. And it has the highest concentration of organic matter and microorganisms and is where most of the Earth's biological soil activity occurs. So, really important.
0: Yeah, without it, the plants have nothing to eat, basically.
1: Yeah, yes. And topsoil is composed of mineral particles, organic matter, water and air. It's not just the top layer of soil being washed away either, like huge blocks of soil are being gorged away as the water does recede, so that's also an issue. And the weight of the water has also compacted soil in some locations where while others are covered in sand and silt that's been swept up by engorged rivers neither of which is is as nutrient-rich or structured as the soil that supports the wheat, soybeans, and the corn crops. So obviously that puts farmers who depend on growing these crops for their livelihoods in a serious bind. What's a farmer to do? They can try to plant this year's crops uh, knowingly knowing that productivity won't be as high as it was previously, or they can set about the arduous task of restoring topsoil to a more productive state. So, which is huge. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah. And obviously the first step is just letting the fields dry out, which could take weeks or even months. And then a farmer can assess how much sand they're looking at. But using heavy equipment to do these assessments could disturb or break up any topsoil that is left. For those lucky enough to be dealing with just a few inches of sand they can just, you know, turn it into the soil, but areas with more than 24 inches of sand could be at, could be just like a lost cause. Like they should just walk away from it.
0: Yeah, because um, it's just, it's too labor intensive to remove that much sand. I mean, mm-hmm. and what do you do with it? We were talking to some people uh, while we were out to dinner last night and they were talking about, yeah, there were people with, there were guys with excavators out there just like, Pulling up buckets of sand out of fields that have been flooded. Mm. I mean, that's here in Ohio, and we've gotten a lot of water, but mm-hmm. not like Nebraska and Oklahoma and Iowa and a bunch of other states have. Ugh.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there is more to consider than just letting the topsoil dry out. So long after the rain stops, floodwaters continue to impact soil's physical, chemical, and biological properties that all plants rely on for proper growth. So just as very wet soils would prevent, like Bev and I, from tending our gardens, uh, large amounts of rainfall prevent farmers from entering a wet field with machinery. So even getting out there is a challenge for
0: them yeah, and their patches of land are so big it's not like you can just go out there and suddenly start doing them by hand again. Oh, right. it just doesn't work that way. right. And, I mean, we laugh at that because like we're like, oh yeah, we'll duh. but like as somebody that just moved to a farming area from like the suburbs, I probably would have scoffed a couple of years ago. Well, why don't they just go back to doing it the way they used to? Well, because (laughs) like the area is so much larger and, you know, you can talk about hundreds of acres or thousands of acres, but until you're standing at the edge of that, I think it's hard to spatially picture it. Right. It's it's an insane amount of land.
1: You're not just going to hook up your, you know, your horses to a plow and just walk behind it. I mean, (laughs) I see the Mennonites
0: (laughs) and the Amish do it all the time because not only do I live like in big farming country, but I live in Amish and Mennonite territory too. So I can move from one farm that is totally tended by machinery to one that's totally tended by horses and hands in the span of seconds. But those fields are very different like they're not Mm -hmm. as big they plant different types of crops they're not doing like the soybeans and the feed corn and stuff they're doing what their family needs to like survive on for the (laughs) for the winter yes (laughs) it's not the same
1: (laughs) right So I thought it would be kind of interesting to understand what exactly the soil is going through. Not that I think soil is like a human being, but the way that this article that'll be linked to the show note, it kind of, I thought it was interesting, like how they pinpointed three major things that we have to think about with the soil. And the first part is that the soil is actually suffocating. So
0: (laughs) yeah, it's a breathing, it's a living, breathing thing when you write about soil. Yeah.
1: And I never really thought about it like that. So when soil is saturated by excessive flooding, the pores in the soil are completely filled with water and have little to no oxygen present. So like much like humans, plants need oxygen to survive. With the gas being taken out into plants via leaves and roots, um, the plants are just like humans. They don't breathe underwater. So um, excess and prolonged flooding kills plant roots because they can't breathe, and dead plants in turn lead to death of above-ground plant and crop growth. And another impact of flooding that we already kind of mentioned is the compacted soil. And this often occurs um, not just from the weight of the water, but when heavy machinery is run over wet and saturated farmland. So when soils become compacted, future root growth and oxygen supply are
0: limited yep yep (laughs) yeah there's an ideal texture to soil like Mm -hmm. it like loamy is the word that they use to describe an ideal soil it should kind of stick but not stick so hard like clay and like Mm -hmm. compacted soil will act more like clay soil where there's not room for anything to move in because it's just so tight there's no room to expand
1: right not ideal at all Um, Another component that we should think through too is the loss of soil nutrients. So when a flooding event occurs, such as overwatering your garden, like on a small scale, or on the large scale of the 2019 Midwest flooding, excess water can flush nutrients out of the soil. And this happens by water running off-site, leaching into and draining through the ground, or even through the conversion of nutrients from a form that plants can utilize to a gaseous form that is lost from the soil to the atmosphere. So, Regardless of whether you're a backyard gardener or a large-scale farmer, these conditions can lead to delays in crop planning, reduced crop yields, lower nutritive value in crops, and increased costs in terms of extra fertilizers being used. And I think it kind of goes without saying, too, there's also the increased stress within the farming community or for you as an individual, um, if you're growing some of your own food. (laughs) um, You you know, when you can't plant over the weekend due to excess rainfall, kind of like I was complaining about earlier. And ultimately, this increases the risk of not producing ample food over time. No bueno. No bueno, indeed. Um, The last bit that we'll cover today about soil is that small... microbial changes have big effects. So flooding on grand scales causes soil to become water saturated for longer than normal periods of time. And this in turn affects so- soil microorganisms that are beneficial for nutrient cycling. So flooded soils may encounter problems caused by the loss of specific soil microorganisms like arbuscular my. Uh, I'm dumb. it's some kind of fungi. <laughs> um, you guys can check out this article in My the show cor- notes.
0: is a fungi? Um,
1: well, we can go with that. I had um, to stab at it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so these fungi colonize root systems in about 90 to 95% of all plants on the earth in a mutually beneficial relationship. So that mutually beneficial relationship is being completely compromised. And that's terrifying. Um, And these fungi receive energy in the form of carbon from the plant. As the fungi extend thread-like trendles into the soil to scavenge for nutrients, they create a zone where nutrients can be taken up more easily by the plant. So this in turn benefits nutrient uptake and nutritive value of the crops. So when this microbial activity is interrupted, nutrients don't ebb and flow within a soil the way that they should be in order to, you know, encourage proper crop growth. So crops grown in previously flooded fields may be affected due to the absence of a microbial community that is essential for maintaining proper plant growth. That sounds super sciencey. It and does. now that I know all that, it's just like, poof, <laughs> mind blown.
0: <laughs> well, and it totally explains why gardeners and farmers are so obsessed with soil. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy to just think of soil as dirt. But right. it's not that. It, it's so much more than that. And in fact, one of the things that we will talk about someday is the Dust Bowl and mm, mm-hmm. the effect that that had. On the region, I think that was like Kansas and Oklahoma and parts of Texas and whatnot. Um, but yeah, no soil, no food.
1: Right, exactly. So the current Midwest flooding has obviously far-reaching efforts on soil health that may last for many years. Uh, recovering these types of ex- from ex- these types of extreme events uh, will likely require active soil management to counteract the negative long-term effects of the flooding. And this may include adoption of conservation systems that include the use of crop cover crops, uh, no-till or reduced-till systems, and the use of perennial grasses, to name a few. Um, these types of systems may allow for better soil drainage and thus lessen flooding severity in soils.
0: And it's important to point out that these systems, while well, they can be and have Been proven to be effective. They take time, yeah, and that's something that a lot of farmers don't have because their bottom line is so tight,
1: right? Time is money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it takes forever. I just I have piles of stuff composting out here. It takes years for it to turn into something that I can actually use as dirt when I'm not doing anything to it. Like, right? It's tricky,
1: right? And farmers do have the ability to perform these practices, but only if they can convert over to these new systems. And as Bev pointed out, when your bottom line is already tight, um, it's hard to be able to pivot to react this way. Um, So I think that kind of sums up our first go around over this issue with the flooding and the crop report. So I hope that you guys feel like you have a better knowledge of at least one or two aspects of why this is so horrific other than just watching it on the news and not being able to like deep dive into the details. So I know I learned a lot today, this (laughs) morning, going through all this. So we hope you guys learned a lot too.
0: I did too. And you know, and I hope that this, the, uh, this discussion and this series of discussions just helps um, open your eyes and your mind to the idea that, some of the things that farmers have to do aren't as simple as -hmm. it can seem in a blog post or in a news article like you're just like well why don't farmers just you know stop using so many chemical fertilizers and start doing you know more permaculture practices and like well yeah in an ideal world that would be nice but those things take time and they take different equipment and they take knowledge and training on how to do things and it's just it's not something that can just be like switched over very easily. Cause I know in a lot of these articles, they pointed out, well, some of them were like, well, if farmers had just been doing, you know, like these no tills or using prairie grasses or more cover crops, there would have been less soil erosion, but it costs money to put those in also. And without programs for them to help do that, it can be really hard to switch over.
1: Right. And I think a good frame of reference people if they ever find themselves saying if farmers just to just stop and slap yourself in the face like (laughs) really hard (laughs) because until like I have farming in my blood and in my family so like when I see these things I inherently know based on my frame of reference and my experience with my family like I'm not out there working the fields like You know my grandpa or my cousins or anybody like that but i've seen them do that i've helped participate in a smaller scale when you know i grew up down the road from my grandparents so i get it in a way that you know somebody at my workplace might not
0: you get it in a way that bev didn't used to get it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah just because it's it's your frame of reference and it's your level of open-mindedness and thoughtfulness um, it, it takes work to do that. Just like I might not understand something at the complete opposite end of the spectrum of like, you know, smog in L.A. Like, why don't they just drive less? Like <laughs> That's like probably like the, the polar opposite. Like, why don't they just drive less? Um, have you been to L.A.? Like, it's not it's not like a foot. It's not like walking around New York City. Yeah. (laughs) It's not at all. It's a nightmare. Um, That was a good example,
0: though. That was a really good example. Thank
1: you. (laughs) You know, that end of the spectrum. I mean, I feel like I would never actually think that about L.A., but you know what I mean? Like, when you just don't know and you don't have that experience, it's it's really easy to judge. And you can say that about just about anything in life.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I think, like... What my takeaway is going to be from this is if I find myself saying, well, if they would just,
1: first Mm -hmm. of all, like
0: there is no they, like we all live on this planet. This is no us against them. Everyone is sort of working in tandem with each other to have a good life and live on a nice planet. And it's just, it's just more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, you could definitely layer that onto politics, too.
0: I mean, you could layer that onto just so many different yeah. things. That's just good life advice right there. Yeah, life I mean, advice
1: with Sam and Bev. Sometimes, sometimes we come <laughs> up with some pretty decent stuff. We do. We should be motivational speakers.
0: We can arrange that.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do that. <laughs> And
0: speaking of uh, motivational speaking, uh, we just can't even get over a couple of things this week. So we should discuss those.
1: Yes, (laughs) let's lighten the mood because I showed my husband your article while I was finishing up show notes. He's like, yeah, hers is better than yours this week. (laughs) (laughs) So, but I didn't read the article. I just read the headline to him. So I need you to explain this to me.
0: (laughs) Okay. So the headline is Connecticut Goat Farm to host LARP party for goats. And so I told my husband this and he looked at me and he's like, what's LARPing? And I like did a double take and I was like, clearly you're not as nerdy as I am.
1: (laughs) No, I'm surprised he didn't know what LARPing was. I thought he would know.
0: I'm not overly surprised. Like, so LARPing stands for live action role play. And unless you've actually been involved in anything live action role play, I guess I could see why you wouldn't know what that is. I've worked at Renaissance Fair when I was in high school. Mm. I used to do like mock, uh, sword battles we use like Shania swords and like uh-huh. how to actually so that's like a live action role play I've done live I've done like role playing games RPGs like on the computer that has always been my jam I've always been much nerdier than I pretend to be <laughs> I had no idea that you LARPed before, so this is all new to me as well. I've LARPed. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to start using that as a verb. You should. Would you like to go LARPing with me today? (laughs) I mean, I would go LARPing
1: with you. It would be fun, especially with goats.
0: Yeah. So I'm just going to actually read this article verbatim because it's just hilarious the way that they Mm -hmm. wrote it. I I can't possibly improve on this, so I'm not even going to bother trying. Okay. There will be a link to it in the show notes so people can go check it out. So. Think of the goats in your life. Have you done right by them? Have you let them (laughs) climb to their naturally preferred heights? Or have you rudely called in the police to corral them off your roof? Have you forced (laughs) them to get all dressed up just to be ogled in in goat beauty pageants? Have you withheld cuddles? Do you feel pretty guilty right now? And do you want to make amends? So here's one small thing you can do to atone. Show the goats a nice time by creating a fanciful larp experience for them (laughs) (laughs) this uh av club reports that uh it's called jibe it goat farm in redding connecticut will be holding a live action role-playing event for goats on june 15th and to be clear it's not about you It's about the goats, and your job is to provide a mind-blowing day of LARPing for your farm friends. (laughs) You will act as director and storyteller, transporting the goats to an unforgettable dream world of mystery and magic. That's how (laughs) the official website explains it. (laughs) Here's how it works. You dress up in a costume and immerse yourself in an imagined narrative. You can be an elf, a steampunk, the mayor of space, Hulk Hogan, Darth Vader, whatever. Be a cliff face and let them clamor up your body. Be some hay. Let them munch your sleeves. It doesn't matter what you choose so long as you abide by the number one rule. Be nice to the goats. (laughs) And you make it obvious that your character has no knowledge of how you got to this mystical goat farm. But you can sense that these goats are important. (laughs) That's all capitalized. Important goats. Important. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my goats think they're pretty important. Yes, mine do too. And they are pretty important. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The coordinators will provide participants with goat activity cards with suggestions for possible plot lines and um, they encourage you to brainstorm your own too. So maybe your goat is the president and he has to choose between peace and total destruction. (laughs) The world's fate rests on labeled lawn posts into which your goat knocks its head. (laughs) (laughs) Based on the direction the goats take under your enthusiastic leadership, you can devise another scenario based on the last story's outcome. You must also brace yourself for the possibility that the goats won't give a heck about any of your efforts. They may not be cooperative. They may ignore us or even try to kill us, the site warns. Still, they need to be entertained and you need to run a LARP for them. The end. That's
1: amazing. (laughs) Those sound like people I want to be friends with.
0: Me too. Yes. <laughs> Maybe we should make that suggestion for a thing next year for Coop camp. We need to have a larping a larping session for kids. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk to the goat chick about that while we're there. Yes, yes we will. Mm-hmm. So what can't you even get over this week?
1: So one of my favorite lazy hobbies is to pull up like Zillow um, which is a house app like if you're in the market to buy a house or if you're just weird and like to look at houses like i do even though you have no intention of buying anytime soon uh because you know i love my house and my farm but i also love daydreaming about other farms and an upgrade someday so you know like when this podcast makes me and Beth famous i might want to go upgrade my barn so, my goats can have a better life. <laughs> so, they can LARP they all day good. long. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, this week I can't even with this house and farm for sale that I found randomly on the internet. um You have to check it out. This house is in Pennsylvania and you can either buy the farm, like the whole farm, for $950,000 or just the Civil War era home for $730,000. So, in the show notes will be a, a link to the original article where I found this house, and then I also found the listing for the house and the 10 acres that come with just the house on Zillow. So if you're curious, you'll want to go check it out. Um, but this house was built in 1861, um, and it's well-preserved house that is at 20 Rashido, uh, Rashido
0: Lane. Rashido? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, I don't I know I almost either. said
1: prosciutto. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it's on the market and it comes two ways, like I mentioned. So if you want like the whole enchilada, it is a six bedroom main house with a six stall barn, a three bedroom tenants home and outbuildings and 30 acres for close to a million dollars or just the house that was like the main house with 10 acres and it's 730. So for me, I'm like, go big or go home. I want the whole thing. So the listing on Zillow is actually just for the house and it it describes it as you're you're welcoming you're coming home through these electric gates offering water features on each side of the entry to your civil war colonial mansion estate situated on 10 private rolling acres with a three-car garage um and then this listing Mm. goes on to say like it talks about this massive staircase that is like 30 by 10. no there's a room that's 30 by 10 and it's dominated that's the word they use by a curving three-story wide oak wood plank staircase now when you look at the stairs they have this ugly ass blue carpet on them so i'm thinking i would have to just pull that up because there's probably some beautiful hardwoods under there for sure
0: Mm -hmm. for sure
1: my inner joanne gaines is like shitting herself (laughs) right now (laughs)
0: Anytime you're in a whole in an old house, you can almost guarantee that there's real wood under that shitty carpet from the 60s yes. and 70s.
1: <laughs> yes. And there are also gorgeous antique chandelier highlights in the grand entry, hardwood floors throughout. Um, A triple brick, thick accented by a signature woodwork, adding grace and charm to the house throughout. Um, You have the original transom windows above many entries and a beautifully updated gourmet eating kitchen with a stone fireplace, marble countertops, and a center island. The floors are heated, people, Mm. in the kitchen. And, you know, you have your oven, your gas cooktop, your stainless steel dishwasher, and plenty of cabinets. Um, there's also this really fancy candlelight replica chandelier and like there's like solid wood beams and the arch ceilings in the kitchen too. So the kitchen was my jam. Now if you're looking through some of the pictures on the listing, it's kind of funny because one of the, I'm guessing it's the master bathroom has this like really in shape, like insane looking, futuristic looking shower that doesn't really seem to fit with the house. But, you know, maybe that was, that was that homeowner's jam. They wanted a really nice shower and bath setup, which, as as a fan of bubble baths, I can understand that. Mm -hmm. But definitely go take a look at this house. I think it's really cool. I showed my husband. He looked at me kind of funny. Um, But
0: that's normal. He likes to look at me funny. I'm looking at the pictures of this house. It's pretty insane, isn't it fun? And oh my god, the shower looks like it could send you to space. Like, is that like one of? It looks like it's that machine from Star Trek that like sends you from one place to the other. Mm -hmm. I didn't watch Star Trek, so I don't know the word for it. But mm.
1: like teleportation would happen in that shower, something like that. (laughs) Yes, yes. So yeah, I thought that was just too cool. and i don't know if there are any anybody else listening that likes to daydream and watch houses or look at houses that you can't afford um to see what's out there it's good to dream you it know it is yeah
0: i so, like it i'm a fan of this house it's super pretty right.
1: it would be it'd be great for entertaining too you know with all the people i invite over as an introvert <laughs> <laughs> right yeah <laughs>
0: Oh uh,
1: but that concludes my I
0: can't even for this week. Uh, well, I like that house. I think that's super cool. Go check it out, people. It's in the show notes. <laughs> yes.
1: And if you buy it, invite us over.
0: Yeah, yes, please and thank you. We'll do a live podcast from it, like, free of charge for you. You just have to let us sleep yeah. in the bedrooms while we're there. Cool. That'll be the deal.
1: <laughs> Although, looking at that house, it just, it feels kind of haunted, so.
0: I was just getting ready to say it can't be a haunted bedroom. <laughs> yeah, please,
1: no. We'll, br- we'll bring you alcohol, too.
0: Yeah, so. we can do that. Yeah. yeah. Deal. Deal. <laughs> so we don't have a listener farm story this week? But I thought this would be a good place to tell my story of how I accidentally covered May in blue coat.
1: Yeah, I saw that on your stories, and I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, here's what happened. I decided after work I was going to trim all the goats' hooves because it had been a while and they were sorely overdue. I was like, it's a nice evening. You know, the sun stays out until nine p.m. here now. So when mm-hmm. I sign off at like five thirty or six, I still have hours of daylight. I'm like. I'm going to get these hooves trimmed and stop putting it off. And then I can, you know, give everybody a look, see, and make sure everybody's doing well. It basically went off without a hitch. I had no issues with anyone. I clipped one go. I kept, I clipped coop just a little close on one hoof. Cause there's always one. So mm-hmm. I had a little bit that I had to clean up. So I already had the blue cut out, but it was no big deal. He didn't even care. It was easy. I get May on the milking stand and I look at her head and I'm like, why is May's head bleeding? And I'm feeling around at the top. It's where her horns would be. I believe I believe May is pulled. I don't think we had to dehorn May. I, I can't remember anymore. That's how many goats I have. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the top of her head, and it looks like she's been partially scalped. Aww. Like the skin, like her fur and the skin is peeled back where one of her horns oh, would be poor baby yeah and it's peeled back like the size of a 50 cent piece so it's pretty big mm. and I'm mm. looking at it and I'm like oh my gosh I'm like this is something that really needs a suture but I don't have a suture kit it, that never occurred to me to be something I should get and keep on hand because I don't know how to use one either right right <laughs> but now I'm going to order one and I'm going to figure out how to use one, um, because I totally she she goats don't care for it when you stab them with needles and sew things closed but yeah they sort of act like they don't have any pain receptors anywhere like she didn't seem to notice that she had been partially scalped Mm
1: -hmm. maybe it was
0: a little bit of shock but she was acting totally normal and she didn't care when I was messing with it and cleaning it out and whatnot but I called my husband I was like hey will you just hold her head still while I put this blue coat on Because I'm gonna go ahead and just disinfect it And I wanted to mark where the area was so that I could keep an eye on it. And that's what blue coat's good for because it dyes all the fur and everything around it Mm -hmm. and everything that it touches blue, you know Mm -hmm. where you treated. (laughs) Right. There's no question about it. Right. And so I'm dabbing her and I'm putting it on and it starts running down the front of her face. And my husband's like, oh, you didn't quite get enough in this. You need to keep dabbing this. So I keep dipping and keep dabbing. And then I look at her and I'm like... Oh my god that's so much blue coat and it's running down her face <laughs> and then starts running over her nose and she's licking it all off oh no <laughs> i'm like oh my god and i turn over the bottle i'm like not to be used on eyes in mucous membranes and inside the <gasps> mouth oh, <my laughs> like, oh no. god damn it <laughs> i look at my husband i'm like i think we just killed a goat (laughs) and he's like no and i'm like the bottle says that this stuff isn't supposed to go like in her nose and in her mouth and stuff i'm like crap i would have used something else if i had realized it was gonna like run all over her face like that so i did a quick search online it turns out it's really not that big of a deal not very many people have talked about it and the most recent one i could find was from like 2011 or 2015 Mm. so it's kind of old but somebody's uh Somebody's goat had licked some blue coat like off of their balls when they had been like you know, <laughs> castrating them or something. Yeah, so they were yeah. freaking out about it. And it turns out it was fine. Um, but they had happened to call the company to ask what they should be watching out for. And the company said that if your goat eats the blue coat, just watch for foaming and watch for mouth sores. And that's when you'll know if they've had a reaction to it. And she had neither of those things. Oh, good. Yeah. So I just grabbed a bottle of water like you know, like a sports bottle, and I just mm-hmm. sprayed water all over her nose and in her mouth Aww. to rinse it all out. She wasn't very happy about that part. But... Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so far, she seems to be healing okay, even though I wasn't able to suture the top of her head closed. There's no mm-hmm. infection. It's still very blue. <laughs> but
1: <laughs> Oh, I bet.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got blue coat on my pants. My hand still has blue coat on it. I was pretty sure that it's still gonna be there for coop camp, but we'll find out.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, hand sanitizer is a good way to get rid of it.
0: Oh, okay. if you have
1: some, just rub it into it. Um, I think it has to do with like the alcohol or whatever's in uh hand sanitizer that's usually how I get it off faster than just doing like dish soap or whatever
0: that's a good idea I might try it on my pants I think those pants are a lost cause unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) those are
1: pants that you wear for chores now
0: (laughs) pretty much I should have known better than to just like go straight out to do farm chores I I wasn't like dressed up or anything but I was wearing like a t-shirt that I don't want stains all over and pants that I like so yeah lesson learned wow Yeah. But I wanted to share that story because, A, I felt really stupid for putting that much blue coat on her. Like, I knew better. <laughs> uh, but B, don't freak out if that happens to happen to you. Because that's my my immediate reaction is to have a heart attack about things. And uh-huh. I'm slowly learning. Like, just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. worth it. You live and you learn. That's right. If you have a farm story that you would like to share... Whether it's funny or happy or sad or maybe it's just something you want to let us or other listeners know about, you can email them to drinkandfarm at gmail.com and we'll read them here so you don't just have to hear our stories. Right. Hmm. So it's time for some housekeeping. Housekeeping corner.
1: So, guys, Coop Camp starts today. Like That's The day right. that this drops. Yep. Which it is June 7th and it runs all weekend. So if you're interested in seeing what the heck we're going to be up to all weekend, you can go to the link in the show notes um, and probably have some FOMO if you're not signed up and coming as well.
0: Yeah. And be sure to keep an eye on our group and our Instagram stories and everywhere. We're just, we're going to be doing as much stuff for Mm -hmm. you guys as possible while we're there. So it's our first time. We can't make any promises for oh, sure. Hello. No. That's <laughs> why I told Bev. We
1: have to enjoy this while we're there too. Like everything that we're thinking is just It's like your wedding day. Like not everything's going to go as planned, but it's going to be great.
0: It's going to be so, fun. So,
1: yeah. And also, if you can't go to Coop Camp but you want to hang out with us and you're in the Midwestern area, uh we are planning another field trip. We're going to be at the Naperville Ale Fest on july 13th at naper settlement in naperville illinois um, the link to that will be in the show notes this Alefest will feature over 200 unique craft beers live music and some of chicagoland's favorite food trucks so if you want to come drink beer with us for like four or five hours on a saturday afternoon make sure you go check that out and buy your
0: tickets yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun we had a blast last year and i could barely walk so imagine what this year is gonna be like oh shit it's gonna be lit as Mm -hmm. the kids say lit (laughs) (laughs) and please take our survey you can give us anonymous feedback uh through that survey your feedback helps make this show better um and it helps us be better podcasters so we really appreciate Mm -hmm. that and there'll be a link to that in the show notes
1: Yeah. And join our Facebook group. Like Bev was saying, we'll try to do some stuff in the Facebook group uh, while we're at Coop Camp. And if you just search We Drink and We Farm Things on Facebook, it'll come right up. Make sure you answer all three questions about your age, not being spammy, um, and being nice to each other and how you found us. And we'll let you in. Um, Otherwise, you're just going to sit there in Facebook purgatory and not be in the group. And that is sad.
0: Yep. Womp womp
1: womp womp indeed
0: and uh by the time this drops we will be done loading all of our previous episodes into youtube i'm so close now i'm at like episode 57 (laughs) or something ridiculous like that so go subscribe to our youtube channel there will be a link to it in the show notes we'll be recording some video and stuff while we're at coop camp we'll be doing some stuff for naperville ale fest so it's not just gonna have our podcast episodes on it but the, those are also a great place to just like discuss the episode, you know, like yeah. right under it. Um, you can listen to it there if you don't really know how to use the podcast player very well. I don't know Mm -hmm. how you found us if you don't but (laughs) (laughs)
1: maybe they found us on
0: youtube (laughs) that's right yeah so yeah that's very meta i'm talking about youtube on youtube right now if you're listening on youtube yeah Mm.
1: but that's a great point if you want to share the podcast with somebody but they're like what the hell is a podcast um just send them a a link to the youtube and that's a great way to show it to, to share it on social media too that's right um, but if you do listen to us on a podcast app especially apple's itunes uh review us in all the places and if you really like us download the episode when you listen and hit that subscribe button
0: yeah and uh, don't forget that we saw some merch there's a link to both of our shops in the show notes so you can go check that stuff out
1: yes and we are on Instagram. That is probably my favorite place to be. And we have a hashtag. So you use hashtag drinkandfarm on Instagram anytime you are safely drinking and farming. We share them on Tuesdays and Thursdays on our on our feed. And sometimes we even share them in our stories. So this is the community that you've built. And we want you to share it with each other. That's right. Yes. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah. We appreciate each and every one of you for coming back each week, even though we are kind of ridiculous and crazy most times.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So drink, farm, and and give give zero zero clucks. Bye, guys. Bye. We
1: drink things. We farm things. We drink and farm things. Are your feathered friends in need of a spa day? Before you reach for that dish soap, you should check out Messy Mildred, a shampoo created with your chicken in mind.
0: Messy Mildred offers a plant-based, eco-friendly organic shampoo, and the creator believes every chicken deserves to be pampered like they're at the top of the pecking order
1: you can rest assured that your egg layers are being pampered on the outside with natural and earth-friendly ingredients that have no synthetic fragrances or colors. And it's safe for you to use on the littlest chick to
0: a full-grown fluffy butt hen or roo. Yeah, and you can use it on other fowl friends too, like your ducks and your geese and yeah, all kinds of things. So go to MessyMildred.com and check out all the shampoos and salty egg bombs and pamper your flock.